Hi, I'm Connor Lennon from UN News, and you're listening to The Lid Is On, our flagship podcast. This is the first in a series of special General Assembly podcasts, where we're looking back at some of the themes covered by the main event, that's High Level Week, when the world leaders all show up at UN headquarters in New York, and the many meetings and conferences taking place on the sidelines. Over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at what the UN is doing to stay relevant to young people, how the private sector is supporting the sustainable development goals and why, and the latest on developments to bring about health care for all and the fight to end tuberculosis. But today, it's all about the tech. The decision makers, the governments, even the public, they don't have a clear picture of actually what's the state of the planet. And if you don't have a good understanding of that, then how are you going to make, create the right actions? This kind of information specifically feeds an industry that's been working in Botswana, but it helps with efficiency and it helps with knowledge and we are really, really proud of it. The uh, level of precision has changed uh, immensely, so that where it may have taken several days before to get a picture of how many people were missing in a village or how many buildings were destroyed in a village, now you may have be able to get to that uh, solution much quicker. Yes, digital technology, it's impacting all of us at home and at work. And if you have any interest in the news or fake news, you'll know that it's also affecting our politics. Well, I'm going to assume you believe your trusty UN news source, and I'm going to share with you some of the things I learned during High Level Week about the many ways in which digital technology is helping to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs, the blueprint of the UN and its partners to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. I spoke to the people you heard just now, Rebecca Moore from Google Earth, Botswana's Investment Minister, Bogolo Joy Kenawendo, and Amanda Pitt and Stefania Tresari from OCHA, that's the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. But first, is it true to say that by investing in data and making sure it's used responsibly, some of the world's biggest challenges can be solved? Claire Malamed, CEO of the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data, or GPSDD for short, certainly thinks so. GPSDD was launched at the same time as the Sustainable Development Goals, bringing together governments, the private sector and civil society, including several UN agencies, to help partners build the bedrock of useful data that can help countries reach the SDGs and monitor their progress along the way. When we spoke at UN headquarters, I started by asking her if enough people fully understand the importance of data and why they should invest in tools to use it effectively. There has been a lot of understanding among a small group of people for a long time and I'm happy to say that that understanding and that commitment to improving data is now spreading to more and more people. In particular, I think political leaders are really starting to wake up to the huge benefits that they can get from investing in data and the way that you know, combining some of the tried and tested methods, the surveys, the censuses, the kind of bed, the sort of foundation stones for good data with some of the really exciting opportunities that we have now with data from mobile phones, data from satellites, combining those two and giving a kind of 3D real-time picture of what's happening in the world can help governments make better decisions, be much more responsive to the needs of their populations, help companies to make the right investment decisions and change as they, you know, as they're confronted with new evidence and really help all of us make sure that the resources, the precious resources that we have in the world are being deployed 
included at the best way to make progress on the SDGs. Now every day more and more data is being produced. Are the tools becoming more available and cheaper so that governments and, and other organisations can use that for, for good use? Absolutely. I mean, technology is helping in all kinds of ways and certainly bringing the costs down enormously. And it's not, you know, investing in data in the scale of the sort of global problems that we face, investing in data isn't really that expensive. It's just a question of, first of all, giving priority to something which isn't always necessarily seen as a terribly kind of sexy, appealing problem to fix. Um, And some of the most difficult problems that we face, which are limiting progress, are not financial, but they're actually about governments putting in place the right laws and regulations that mean that the public sector and the private sector can share data in a way that they both feel secure, that the data will be used well, that citizens can trust the data and trust that their data will be used to help them and not harm them. There's a big political agenda there which we do need to tackle and which is probably one of the biggest barriers that we face to using all of this technology that we know is within our grasp, using it well to solve the big challenges of the world. I know you've been involved in a project in Freetown, the capital of Sierra Leone. Tell me what you achieved there. We, it's, a, it's very much a work in progress, but we are working with the mayor of Freetown, with civil society groups in Freetown, um, to try to, to, under, to, to get the government, the city authorities and citizens groups working together to map out the um, urban waste problem in Freetown, which of course is a big, growing, vibrant city, um, big issues around urban waste and the management of waste, which you know, of course affects people's lives every day. It's something that really affects the quality of life. Politically, you know, the mayor really wants to tackle it, and we're helping to put in place the data systems that mean that the resources are being used effectively and that the, the um, and getting to where they need to be to solve this problem for citizens. And solving it more cheaply, I presume. Uh, we hear about how digital technology is being seen as a leapfrogging technology in some African countries. Uh, do you think that this could be the same for data tools? Absolutely. You know, mobile phones have hugely reduced the cost of surveys. They've reduced the time it takes to get information from one place to another where you used to have to carry pieces of paper, you know, on terrible battered roads down, you know, from one place to another. And now you can just transmit that same information instantly with mobile phones, get it to where it needs to go straight away. So there's all sorts of ways in which technology is bringing the cost down and increasing the scale of what's possible. Claire Malamud from the Global Partnership for Sustainable Development Data, ending with an example of how data can make a difference in Africa. To get another perspective of how African countries are benefiting from these so-called leapfrogging technologies, I met with Bogolo Joy Kenewendo, Botswana Minister for Investment, Trade and Industry. She has no doubt that it can make a big difference to Botswana's economy. We uh, really expect that uh, technology would allow us to leapfrog. And before, it's been argued that we do not have uh, competitive advantages uh, and comparative advantages. But we think that competitive advantage is something that we can build. And we're working around the clock to ensure that we build that. We are investing in R&D in some of our research institutions. Specifically, talking about technology and digital technology and the difference it's made to your economy. Has it started to trickle down yet? 
Yes, uh, fortunately, I've only been in the office five months, but I've dealt with about three uh, digital companies, which are incredible. And I am so proud uh, to stand behind them. And uh, I uh, believe that they will be able to uh, create uh, the economic traction that we need, but also the employment that we need. There's one called M Agri, and uh, what they are doing is uh, supplying uh, information on agriculture. Uh, you know, the climate was happening with the weather today and feed uh, you know if your uh, uh, cows they're sick we are a cattle economy we sell beef we export beef to uh, Europe and uh, other parts of the world this kind of information specifically feeds an industry that's been working in Botswana but it helps with efficiency and it helps with knowledge and we are really really proud of it and uh, they are now interested in moving to uh, markets in West Africa and built in that program is also a messaging service so it's like an offline WhatsApp it's fantastic I, and I'm sure they can sell it much better than I can and then uh, the second one is um, it's a mobile phone they build it in Botswana and uh, it is a cheaper version of an iPhone because, uh, you know, an iPhone uh, here is about $1,000 and in Botswana $1,000 is 10,000 pula, which is uh, a middle income family salary. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate that someone in Botswana has saw it to come up with a cheaper, affordable phone. That works very well. So we're very proud of that. Bogolo Joy Kenowendo, Botswana Minister for Investment, Trade and Industry, on some of the digital tech projects coming out of her country. But for a truly bird's eye or satellite view, who better to talk to than Rebecca Moore? She's the director of Google Earth and made a west to east coast trip to show how her organisation can put its key selling point to the world's advantage, gaining fresh insights from the organisation of big data. If we're going to manage our natural resources better, for example, look at look at the state of the planet, which is under great threat. We have species going extinct, we have impacts of climate change, we have deforestation, we have desertification. In many cases, the decision makers, the governments, even the public, they don't have a clear picture of actually what's the state of the planet, what's happening, what are the trends. Um, what's forecast. And if you don't have a good understanding of that, then how are you going to make, create the right actions and do it in a way that's transparent and being able to measure progress. So, you know, from, from a Google perspective, we see it as it's a big data challenge. How can we turn, for example, uh, the incredible satellite imagery that is collected by NASA and the European Space Agency and the Japanese Space Agency that is telling us so much about freshwater resources and forest and desertification, how can we turn those billions of megabytes of pixels coming from space into what do people really need to know? And uh, that's where Google can play a role and is playing a role um, because we have a few computers lying around and those computers are running YouTube and search and Gmail and so on. Well, what if we could put them in service of the planet, in service of aggregating, organizing all of that information about the environment, about the, about the planet, and distilling it down into, through science, right, uh, into exactly what people need to know. And the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, are something that we are really um, 
getting behind because as Google, we don't know what are the right indicators of, of planetary health, but we've been really impressed by the whole global community of nations coming together and going, these are the things we care about. And again, when we talk about state of the planet, uh, I think of it as the vital signs. You know, you can go to a doctor and you can get your heart measured or your lung function measured, but where do you go to find out the state of our fisheries, our oceans, our, our air, our water? We announced a partnership with UN Environment uh, in July. We're going to release the first data set under that partnership at the UN World Data Forum in Dubai in um, October. And what that's going to be is a very precise picture of the state of fresh water on the planet and how it has changed over the last 30 years. 90% of the people on Earth are facing freshwater scarcity. More than, I think, 50% of the countries share a major freshwater resource with another country, but they don't have the data to make wise management decisions about where do you build a dam, you know, for example. Um, this data set is a very precise understanding of the state of freshwater on the planet and what the trends are. And you also have some existing uh, actionable insights, I think some examples of yes. ways that you've been working, partnering now. San Jose, for example. You know, there's a tremendous opportunity to mitigate climate change by the world shifting from fossil fuel sources of energy to renewable energy or to low carbon energy sources. And solar has become more and more practical. Uh, cities are struggling to understand what is the opportunity for my citizens to go solar and, and reduce the carb overall energy footprint of my city. Um, it turns out that, you know, I work on the Google Earth and Maps team. We have amazing 3D information about city buildings, right? Uh, and actually about buildings all over the world. And we let you look at it as a three-dimensional photorealistic, you know, landscape. But we have the ability with that high-resolution information, we can model, and we've done this now, the solar potential of every rooftop. Because we know how big it is, how it's oriented. We can model weather, the, the pattern of sun as it goes over that roof, the uh, shading from nearby buildings. And so we produced, it's called Project Sunroof, um, information about the potential of every rooftop to generate solar energy. The city of San Jose took that and realized they have the ability to generate more than three gigawatts of power. And so they committed, they want to be the first city to uh, be a one gigawatt. They, because they knew they could generate at least three, that gave them, that showed them the art of the possible, it gave them the ambition, and they want to be the first uh, city to be a one gigawatt renewable energy city. Rebecca Moore, director of Google Earth, talking to me during the high-level week of the General Assembly. As well as the freshwater and solar energy projects that Rebecca mentioned, Google is also looking at traffic to estimate carbon emission data 3D building models to estimate emissions from buildings, and the Google Street View cars are measuring street-level air pollution in around 50 cities around the world. And for those at the sharp end, the UN staff responsible for dealing with humanitarian affairs and disasters, the falling cost of ever more powerful digital tools is helping them to do their jobs better and save more lives. To find out how, 
I spoke to two members of OCHA, the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. This part of the UN brings together humanitarian actors to make sure their response to an emergency or crisis is as coordinated and coherent as possible. They were running an information display when I met them about a part of their organisation called UN Disaster Assessment and Coordination, or UNDAC. This is like the first responder in a sudden emergency situation such as a natural disaster. Amanda Pitt, Director of Communications for OCHA. The way that we use technology now, the technologies we have access to, all changes everything. And the way we can use crowdsourcing uh, to get different types of information, compare it against data sets that we had before a crisis happened, all of those things are very, very important. The uh, level of precision has changed uh, immensely, so that where it may have taken several days before to get a picture of how many people were missing in a village or how many buildings were destroyed in a village, now you may have be able to get to that uh, solution much quicker. My name is Stefania Trasseri and I work for the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. My role is to manage the UNDAC team. UNDAC is a United Nations Disaster Assessment and Coordination Team. We use technology uh, a lot in our uh, deployments, especially uh, when it comes to satellite images. We work with partners like UNOSAT uh, to, uh, who are able to provide us with satellite images when there is, for example, a flood situation. So with these satellite images, you can see clearly what is the extent of the damage. Uh, we also work uh, quite closely with organizations like MapActions who also provide support in GIS and mapping. And the technology in this type of uh, of responses are uh, very much used by disaster response experts like us. Uh, also in relation to situations like earthquake response, we have uh, urban search and rescue teams who are also using some sensor, uh, obviously the typical dogs that you see, the search and rescue dogs, uh, who are able to see whether under the rubbles there are any uh, people who are still alive, so any victims are still alive. So the technology is, uh, uh, is, is very much used in disaster response. We really count on the development of technologies like, for example, drones. We count on drones to actually uh, see the extent of damages in, in, in situations, as I say, like floods, hurricane or earthquake. Do you have any idea of, of how many people you've probably been able to save as a result? It's very difficult to answer these questions. For sure, I can say that by knowing more about the extent of the disaster, we are more able to provide a good analysis of the situation so that we can communicate better to the donor community uh, what are the needs on the ground. So definitely he has a positive impact on the type of response that we can provide to people. So we really hope the technology will continue to support disaster response because it's very much needed. That was Stefania Tresari, a humanitarian affairs officer for UN Disaster Assessment and Coordination, and Amanda Pitt, communications director for the United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. You've been listening to the first of our General Assembly special episodes of the flagship UN news podcast, The Lid Is On. For our next special, we'll be looking at what the United Nations, a venerable post-war mid-20th century institution, is doing to engage youth and, yes, the adults who weren't even born in the 20th century. Yes, I know, it's scary. I'm Connor Lennon from UN News, feeling very aged. I'm going to have a lie down now, and I'll see you next time.